for the last six weeks, we've been in um, a series here at church titled Little Foxes. And so the verse that we've kind of based this whole uh, series out of is found in Song of Solomon chapter 2. And it says this, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. Jesus is asked by an expert in the law, uh, what's the greatest commandment? There's 613. And he asked Jesus, who's a Jew, what's the greatest commandment? Trying to trap Jesus. And he responds without hesitation to love God and to love people. And so we know that these are uh, the things that are closest to his heart. So he's going to lead us into connection with him. He's going to lead us into intimacy with him and with others. And that's his will for our lives. That's what he desires for us. But we also know if that's his mission, then the devil who's in direct opposition to his mission is going to lead us into disconnectedness, into division. He wants to hinder those relationships and hinder that intimacy, right? So this series about addressing little foxes isn't so much a call for us to live perfect. It's not so much a call to perfection. It's a call to protection over our relationship and our intimacy with Jesus and our relationship with others. Amen? So... um, yeah, I just want to jump in and, and let's, this is our final week in the little foxes and, and we're just going to address our, our last little fox together. Um, it, it's so important that we don't just allow these little foxes to exist in our vineyards because, oh, it's, it's not that bad or it's not that big of a deal. But, um, you know, James 1 verse 14, it says this specifically, it, it speaks to this topic and it says, uh, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Because we know sin's intention is always to separate, right? But then verse 15 says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow. And so this series is about addressing the sin that exists in our life, calling it for what it is, and not allowing it to grow. Amen? Because when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We want to see the death in our intimacy of our relationships and our connectedness and all of those things then allow sin to grow. All right, so let's pray and then we'll jump into this thing. Father, we love you so much. Man, we're so grateful for what you've graced us with this morning. A real encounter with you. Time together. Faith rising up in the room. Interceding for our faith family. Um, taking time to pray for one another. I believe that you're looking upon this body this morning with joy in your heart. You're singing over us. You're smiling over us. And Lord, I, I pray that your spirit would use this time and use this message to be powerful and effective in edifying our spirits. That we would walk away today a little bit more like Jesus. I pray that you till the soil of our heart to be fertile ground, to receive the word of your truth. Uh, Let it grow to produce fruit in our lives. We want to be transformed into a company of kingdom people. And I pray we continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. So my uh, youngest daughter, Glory, she's, she's 10 months old, and uh, this is just a really fun age because I can lay down on the floor with her. She's crawling around like a maniac. She crawled up into a chair for the first time this week, and uh, like if I just am rolling around with her on the ground, she'll grab my head and try to put the whole thing in her mouth. It's like, and she'll slobber all over my face. And she's so young that, you know, naughty behavior, it's not even really a thing right now because there's just not an awareness of right and wrong, and, and, and if there is, it's just un recognizable. But uh, I'm trying to soak this season up because I know that that's short-lived. 
only because I have a soon-to-be three-year-old and four-year-old in my house as well. And so I, I know what's coming. I, I know what's around the bend. And, uh, you know, about two years ago, we brought in Jazzy and Elena, and they've just been wonderful. And we're really hoping to adopt those girls um, at the beginning of 2023. But, you know, there's a, an interesting dynamic in our home. I love my kids. I get asked the question, you know, is your love for Jazzy and Elena different than being your foster daughters? Uh, having Glory, who has a biological connection. And, and really, it's not. The Old Testament talks about how Jonathan and David, their souls were knit together. And, and the Lord made them one. And I think sometimes, even though there's not a biological connection, uh, the Father allows us to experience something with others in the Spirit, where he divinely connects us and emotionally connects us and spiritually connects us and all of that. And I've really felt like I've experienced that. I love all my kids the same. I saw Glory, you know, pop out of her mom, get cut out of her mom, technically, if we're if we're being technical and, um, you know, the, the love that I have for glory is the same that I have for those girls. And so I love all my kids. I love all my kids. And, and so we, uh, but even though I love my kids and, and the love is great, I don't love everything they do. And all the parents said, I would go as far to say, I know it's strong language, but I love my kids, but there's things they do that I hate. Yeah. And so I really believe the word leads me to believe, not just my opinion. As I read his word, God looks upon his creation, his sons, his daughters as children, and he loves us sacrificially, unconditionally, relentlessly. He's pursuing us. He loves us. But there are things we do that he hates. Proverbs speaks to this specifically. Proverbs 16 says, um, if I can find the verse, I'm sorry, Proverbs 6, verse 16 says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. That, that original word for abomination means disgusting. There are seven things that disgust God. And uh, it begins to list those things. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. That's why we protect our babies. Amen. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. And then he concludes the list with, and one who, swords, who sows discord among brothers. Did you know that God hates divisiveness and discord as much as he hates the shedding of innocent blood? That's a pretty strong hate. And I know that we would call out, you know, yeah, you're not supposed to murder, and we're cool with that. But for so many of us, we are totally fine for divisiveness to exist in our lives. And we don't label it with that same, like, we really need to avoid this because uh, this is something the Lord really has a distaste for. Right? Proverbs 16:28. Pro, if God hates discord and he hates division, um, we, Proverbs tells us a dishonest man spreads strife. This is Proverbs 16. And a whisperer, everyone say a whisperer. Another word for that is a gossip. Everyone say gossip. Little fox identified, by the way. Separates close friends. So if God hates dissension, then we definitely, definitely need to avoid gossip because it causes the thing God hates. Does that make sense? 
God hates gossip. God hates gossip. And gossip is a, a little fox that wreaks havoc in the church. And it not only breaks God, God's heart, but it disgusts him. It disgusts him. If God hates gossip, then we need to clearly define what is gossip so I can better avoid it and make sure that it doesn't exist in my life in any form. That word whisperer, Proverbs 16 uses that word whisperer. A whisperer separates close friends. And, and that original word is near gone, which means to backbite or to slander. Now, if you're like me, you don't know what the heck backbite means, but you have a pretty good idea of slander. What is slander? And slander, simply put, if we're going to define what slander is, it's to tell a lie to ruin someone's reputation, okay? But backbiting is to slander, but to also speak unfavorably of someone when they're not present. So it may be true, it just might not be nice, <laughs> okay? So whether it's, I don't know if slander's this massive deal in the church, and, and, and maybe there's some of that, I'm, su I'm sure some of that exists, but I think this whole concept of backbiting, ah, we like to share our opinion of someone with everyone but them, right? Amen, I'll be the only one who says amen and, and do it for you. Um, so backbiting you know, differs in the sense that what being said may not be a lie, but it's attack on a person's character that discusses their flaws, more specifically when they're not present, okay? Um, so we, we want to cultivate a church that's gossip-free. Uh, we we want to cultivate, we don't want to just not gossip at church or about our church family. We, we don't want to um, gossip at work, right? But it's not just about not gossiping in certain environments or with certain people. It's about developing a character that doesn't gossip. I don't gossip. So where I go, gossip doesn't follow me. Amen? Uh, when you look at the book of Ephesians, I, I love Ephesians because it's, it's so plain. It's a powerful letter by Paul. We actually took time to go through it. It's called Raised to Life, a series we did about a year ago. I encourage you to go find that. That'll be helpful for you. But Ephesians, you can really split it up in two sections. Like it has two halves, the way that Paul structured the letter. And so the first part of it is all that it means to be in Christ Jesus. It's the purity of the gospel, what it means to follow Jesus and, and what that means for us. And then the second half of it is like, okay, now that we're children of the light, now that we're in Christ Jesus, here's how we live that out practically. Here's how we respond to the good news. So in, in chapter four of Ephesians, we see instruction for what believers' words should look like. Okay, so let's read this together. It says this. Don't use uh, Ephesians 4 verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good. Say good. good. Helpful. Say helpful. helpful. And encouraging. Say encouraging. encouraging. Okay, so let everything you say, say everything. Everything, everything we say be good, helpful, and, and so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. This whole year, we've talked about being a company of kingdom people, being uh, cultivating a culture, a kingdom culture, right? When people get around us, 
corporately or even as individuals, there should be something in them that's like, man, they are just, what they say is so good. Man, what they say is helpful. When I spend time, when I spend time with Eric Wucky, I feel built up. I feel encouraged. His words are, are life-giving. They're refreshing. When, when I spend time around Nikki, whoo, I, I, just, I just love that girl. There's just something about her because what we say is good, it's helpful, and it's encouraging. I just wonder, are people walking away sensing that? Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. So if we're talking, whether it's good or it's bad, we're going to have to live in the mess of it. (laughs) That's what that means. So some of us, you know, and this can be different situations and circumstances, but maybe some of us find ourselves in a marriage that's riddled with discontentment. Yet if we were to take a, a transcript of some of our conversations with everything but with everyone but our spouse, it might sound like, yeah, he's like he's not even a spiritual leader. Okay. I just wish he would step up. Like he just comes home from work and he doesn't pay our kids any attention. And I'm like, look, listen, they're your kids too. So you gotta you gotta figure this out. It's like, you know? Yeah, he, yeah, he just wants to sit around and watch football. There's no problem going to the gym, okay? but he won't do any laundry. Why don't you lift that laundry and work those biceps doing that? Okay, how about that? All right. Guys, got to come for y'all too. Man, my wife always chooses the kids over me. I love them too. I mean, I love, but I need a little something too. You know what I mean? She's always doing that. She doesn't even care, bro. She doesn't even, she doesn't even think, dude, I can tell when my wife's talking to her mom. I know her mom doesn't like her mom never liked me. It was like I cheated on her in high school. Relax. It wasn't I was young. Like I'm better now. You know, I can tell when she starts treating me nasty and I can tell. It's like I, I can tell when she's talking to her mom. Right? And we and we have these conversations. I know I'm hitting home with somebody. Come on. <laughs> I sat at my desk for a minute. I'm like, what's real? What's what 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 are Holy Spirit, come on. Just We have these conversations that insinuate I'm discontent in my marriage. I'm not satisfied with my spouse. My spouse needs to do better. My spouse isn't meeting my needs. And our words are constantly speaking this uh, uh, one way or another. And then all of a sudden we're surprised when those things begin to manifest in our life. Some of us drive to work every day to a job we hate with coworkers who are one phrase away from a drop kick to the face. Come on, let's just be... Let's just, let's just be honest. But if we look at the transcript of our words, yeah, babe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eddie, making me close up by myself again. Can you believe? He's the worst. He, he makes this job so much harder than, than it needs to be. Babe, Christina, you remember Christina? Remember I've been talking to you about Christina? Yeah, yeah, she called out sick again. I had to do everything by myself. I had to do everything she had to do, and I had to do what I had to do. That's why I hate this job. Yeah, that's why this is no good. I can't believe her, blah, blah, blah. She she has no work ethic. Dude, my boss has no idea what he's doing. He he makes one bad decision after another bad decision. That's why this company is in the position it is, because he's an idiot. It's, uh, you know. And then we wake up a year later, ready to quit this job we can't stand. We're totally dissatisfied. We have no relationship with our boss. We have no relationship with our coworkers because the consistency of our conversations have contaminated any chance for contentment. 
The consistency of our conversations have contaminated any chance for contentment when instead the consistency of our conversations should contribute and cultivate a kingdom culture. So she calls sick again instead of, okay, again, okay, I guess that's fine. It looks like, and I know maybe this is corny and doesn't have to look like this, but remember kingdom, really sick again. Well, let's pray while I got you on the phone then, <laughs> right? Like, you know, that boss is making this wacky decision or, or, or whatever, and it's like, hey, man, I, I appreciate your leadership, and you made some good decisions while I've been here. I just don't know if this one is the best decision. Um, you know, there's just, there's just uh, I, I, I think what we need to start utilizing is a thing I want to call some phrase filters, and I stole them from Paul. Before we say what we're going to say, we need to run it through three filters. Is it good? Is it helpful? Is it encouraging? Whether they're there or not, if what I'm about to say to somebody about somebody else, is it good? Is it helpful? Is it encouraging? If not, it ain't kingdom. Right? Some easy phrase filters for us. But Pastor Mark, sometimes I gotta have hard conversations. Sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta tell how it is. It's, and, and I totally agree. But I think even difficult, uh, uh, conflictual conversations, I don't know if that's a word, but we're gonna pretend it is, can still be helpful. They can still be helpful. Ah, man, I'm, I'm all for confrontation. And the Bible says Jesus gave some instruction to the church on conflict resolution because believers weren't supposed to be suing each other. But we know that we're going to have conflict with people because we're people. So this was a part of the conversation that we find in Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, go privately, point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So we see there's just some, some, some practical advice for how do we, how do we figure out our conflicts here? Because they're, they're going to arise. Well, first of all, I don't have conflict with Steve and then go tell everybody but Steve about it and how Steve did me wrong and how Steve's stupid and he makes bad decisions, right? If there is an offense, the first person I need to go have a conversation with is who? Right. And so there's all these other steps, but I think I would be satisfied this morning if I just got some of us to start taking step number one, <laughs> right? Because some of us, we, we can't even step up to that first step we're, whether we're so scared of confrontation or, or we've developed these uh, patterns or, or whatever it is. But I think we just need to start going to the source. And if we can do that, and then if you go to the source and it's like, man, they're all out of alignment, man, get some people who are close with them and, and let's bring some other people into that conversation. But I, but I think this morning, it's like, I, I think that's part of how we're gonna find resolution is, is if we would just have the courage to go to the source sometimes, we probably wouldn't even have half the conflict that we have anyways, right? Um, so <clears throat> I... One thing I wanted to address is, is why. We know we shouldn't gossip, but, but it's something that we continuously engage in. You know, it's, it's something that maybe we do struggle with. Not everybody in the room, but a lot of us were like, ah, oh, man, I could be better with my mouth. I could tame my tongue. Why? I, I sat there and I just 
thought about it and like, Lord, why is this something that exists? Why is this something that we wrestle with? And, uh, you know, a full transparency with me, if I was to be really honest, and it can even be embarrassing, but I'll be honest for the whole room, I think sometimes the reason I'm willing to backbite is because I'm just insecure about me. So if I can just highlight somebody else's shortcomings and somebody else's uh, 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 falling short of the glory of God, let's make, it, let's make it spiritual, right? Then I don't have to focus on my own and I can feel better about me. Maybe that's some of what it is. And then I think sometimes we just gossip because we're just downright envious and jealous. Mark, did you hear Bob preach? Oh my word. He set it off. Just the way that he said some things, I just get it. It just, it just makes sense. Every time he preaches, I just cry. I can't even stop. He's just, he is just a preacher. I'm like, yeah, but he's arrogant though. Right? Come on, I'll be honest for the room. And, and we'll, we'll gossip about someone we don't even know because we're jealous and insecure and we're envious. Amen? And in the kingdom, we celebrate one another. In the kingdom, my words are good, helpful, and encouraging. You're right. Bob can preach, boy. I, I need to go get lunch with him and ask him, what do you do? <laughs> right? The Bible says this, again, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree, that is are of one mind in harmony about anything they ask, if believers come together, anything they ask, and, and they agree, and there's agreement, everyone say agree, okay, that, that's harmony. If there's unity in thought, unity in purpose, if they come together, there's harmony and they agree, whatever they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So we see very clearly there is power and agreement and there's power in our unity. So of course the enemy's gonna try to divide that. He's gonna try to separate that because a fractured church is a weak church because a fractured church and a divided church is a church that he doesn't have to worry about, right? So, so if, if we can figure this thing out and if we can begin to cut out the gossip, we might be a little bit more unified. There might be a little bit more agreement and we just might experience the power of God. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The devil wants to separate people and strip the church of its power. That's what he wants to do. Gossip separates. But our King and our Lord and our Master Jesus who paid it all, um, the one that we want on the throne of our heart, the one we want to follow, feels very specifically about the unity in the church. I'll just take some keys right now if that'd be cool. If Lacey's in the room, is Lacey in the room? Perfect. We'll just close out like this. So John 17 is uh, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. One of the last conversations that he has is it's, it's coming to the end of the book of John. And this is one of his uh, kind of his last prayers. And so I think that's significant. And, and this is one of the things specifically that Jesus prays. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples. So as he, as he sits with his disciples, he's talking to the father and he tells the father, I'm not just praying for these guys but I'm praying for everyone who will believe in me. Do you believe in Jesus? Jesus is praying for you right here. I pray that they will all be, everyone say one, one. Just as you and I are one. He, he says, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. 
I've given them the glory you gave me so you may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. In layman terms, Jesus is praying for a church that's so unified, that, that is so harmonious, that unbelievers, outsiders, look into the community and the body of the church and think, man, they're close. There's a, uh, that, that unity must have divine intervention. That's what he's praying. Our unity testifies about the God that we serve. That's his prayer. Father, I, I, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Jesus is praying for unity that would cause unbelievers to peer into our community and think to themselves, wow, I actually see Christ in those Christians. <laughs> but here's the deal. Unity, the only way unity can happen in the church, the only way we can be unified is if you're willing to get off of your throne and I'm willing to get off of my throne and we all put ourselves under the same master and the same Lord and the same command, if we all have the same Lord and we'll be obedient to him, then we're all getting the same instruction and we can be in unity. And that's where unity is found, through our faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. So here's the gospel, here's the good news. Jesus did everything, you couldn't do enough to be saved. But Jesus said, I love my creation so much, I'll do the work they can't do, then allow them to take part in it. Okay? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I just wonder, as we've gone through these little foxes, these series, you can get rid of bitterness, and you can try and get rid of offense, and you can even stop watching porn, but that will not get you into heaven. There is one name, there is one man, and his name is Jesus. Amen?